Texas Governor Greg Abbott is taking the bull by the horns in the border crisis in Texas and is showing the world the meaning of don't mess with Texas. Dr. Michael Thiessen and myself, Tim Tyso, are breaking down the Eagle Pass crisis today. We want to welcome you to the other club. I have nothing to offer but blood, toil, tears, and sweat. We have before us an ordeal of the most grievous kind. You ask, what is our aim? I can answer in one word. Victory. Victory in spite of all terror. Tim's great to be here with you, and we are about to delve into a really important topic. And everybody, as per usual, this show is produced by Liberty Coalition Canada in partnership with ChristianWeek.org. Liberty Coalition Canada exists to establish Christ's justice and righteousness and to defend those who stand. ChristianWeek.org exists to provide practical, hope-filled, balanced perspectives on national and global issues. As always, uh, our podcasts and our ministries are broadcasting across enemy lines. And so if you want to head over to libertycoalitioncanada.com and slash donate or click the analysis box, then donations there will be submitted directly to christianweek.org. And if you want to support our legal and advocacy work, head over to libertycoalitioncanada.com slash donate and click other designations. This podcast is also a ministry of Royal Spring Chapel and we are pleased to sit down and have a good dinner conversation where we integrate political thinking and Christian thinking all together. So, Tim, where are we going today? Well, as we promised last week, and we don't often keep our promises here on this podcast, but we're trying. We did uh, promise to come to the Texas border crisis we looked at a invasion of U.S. a U.S. figure in Canada last week with Tucker Carlson, albeit it was a welcome invasion from our perspective. And this week we're looking at the uh, invasion that's happening on the south end of the American border uh, in Texas. And so it's uh, it's shaping up to be quite a conflict. Uh, and Mike, <clears throat> what I wanted to say at the outset was that this showdown is going to determine much more than just the number of illegals that are crossing into the U.S., because it is, it's shaping up to be a conflict versus state uh, versus federal jurisdiction and supremacy. And that's going to shape a whole generation of politics. So what's happened is Greg Abbott has blocked out federal border agents from critical crossing points because of their complicity in allowing illegals to flow inside uh, into the country. This went to the Supreme Court. We're going to talk about that very briefly, but it went to the Supreme Court from a federal challenge. And the Supreme Court said uh, the federal government has a right to not enforce its uh, border laws. Well, Greg Abbott ignored this and continued to erect uh, razor wire fencing, um, just basic border blockades. And the numbers of illegals that have been crossing into Texas have dropped significantly. So has the flow of fentanyl and other drugs. Meanwhile, they have spiked in places like Arizona and California. So that tells you something about the fact that you can actually control the flow of illegal immigration. Uh, we're also going to look at the Appropriations Act, which recently failed in the U.S. Congress. And we're going to bring you some testimony from Butler County Sheriff Rick Jones from the state of Ohio. So lots going on around this uh, subject. Uh, this is centering around Texas because uh, Texas actually owns and maintains 66% of the American-Mexican border. So a significant onus of our consequence of crossings is going to take place right in that state. And of course, it, it is shaping up to be a crisis um, in that over 8 million illegals have crossed into uh, the United States in the mere three years since Trump left office. So in the summer of 2022, Greg Abbott declared an invasion. So 8 million people is a lot to have come into your country illegally over 50 years. Uh, this has happened in three years in the United States. So, um, you know, Mike, we, we saw state um, governors pledge their support to Abbott um, in the last couple of weeks. And uh, so, you know, why don't you take us through some of that? 
Yeah. And of course, this is, uh, you know, a number of Canadians and Americans are listening to this podcast. And so uh, we are going to make this applicable to both sides of the border because this is just really important. But uh, Governor Abbott, you know, has thanked all of those state governors uh, here in Kentucky. We have our our uh, attorney general who uh, went beyond the uh, the governor here and what our governor would say, and uh, he 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 declared support for Abbott. Uh, Biden is basically refusing to enforce current U.S. law, which requires him to deny entry of any individual illegally. And for those of us who have immigrated to the United States legally, with many Canadians wondering if that's what they should do next, um, or many Canadians looking at this saying, Haha, you guys are going to have to come back to Canada because it's going to get so crazy there. Uh, both are, both are a, a possibility. Um, but for, for anybody who is uh, attempting to immigrate legally, this blatant lack of, of um, implementing, enforcing the law uh, is really an insult to us all. And it, it, it utterly changes the nature of what a country will be. So uh, Governor Greg Abbott uh, goes on to say he also has the responsibility imposed on him by Congress to detain any illegal immigration within the United States. So um, individuals currently on the U.S. terror watch list are being frequently arrested uh, within the United States. So this is a major problem, especially when uh, the Constitution, Article 1, Section 10, Clause 3 says a state can protect itself and its citizens from imminent danger or invasion. And of course, that's why Governor Greg Abbott is using that word invasion. And of course, he's not the only one using that with that word. Uh, uh, um, Senator Ted Cruz has been using that word. And I was thinking about this. Eight million people is just uh, just a little bit shy of a, of a quarter of the population of Canada, right? So eight million times four would be 32 million. I think the population of Canada is 35, 36 million. So when you're talking about eight million people. If eight million people were to make their way through Mexico, so let's just say the Trudeau government decided uh, on the same type of policy once they've moved into Canada and, and he wants to maybe, you know, instead of just, you know, allowing mass immigration from Islamic countries, maybe Trudeau wanted to expand his portfolio of, of the Canadian immigration policy. Uh, you know, we, we share the world's largest land border with the United States. And if Canada adopted this type of policy and 8 million people came into Canada in three years, that would be just, that would, that would be one fifth of the country. That's let me put it this way, Mike, uh, we were talking about, yeah, we were talking about our election uh, turnout last week when we were discussing the Tucker Carlson speech. Uh, 17 million people voted in the last federal election in Canada. So you're, that number in comparison is 50% of the, of the last voting populace sample in Canada. So you are talking about huge implications. You're talking about huge numbers of people. We're not saying these people have voting rights immediately, um, but um, Jesse Walters on Fox News um, had a segment where he had a, a field reporter interviewing uh, a lot of these migrants in Spanish and asking them, if you were ever granted the privilege of voting, who would you vote for? And he said he spoke to hundreds of them and it is consistent and almost unanimous that it would be Joe Biden. Why? Because well, he's the one because, keeping the borders open, allowing them to come to a better country. And of course, that is why. And as we talked about it last year in the context of Canada, this is the American context of that same problem of a government that is radically trying to change the voter block. And, that, and that's the reason why uh, that is this reason why this president has not taken the border seriously. Now, ironically, the northern border has been taken very seriously. So the border between Canada and the United States is still just as rigorously protected. Um, if all of the conservatives in Canada wanted to move to the United States tomorrow, they would have to go through Mexico. And I'm not encouraging you to do that because, of course, uh, part of the actual observation of what goes on is how much the drug cartels are in, in control of this invasion and how easily you could have your passport confiscated and 
you uh, be told exactly what you would and would not do to try to get into the United States. It's not like going from Mexico back to Canada, you know, to a resort. You, you're now you're now uh, exposing yourself significantly. But this is why the American uh, uh, president wants these open borders for the exact same reasons we were talking about with Trudeau and how he is uh, he's promoting Im immigration at such a high rate, and of course. Um, implementing policies that are actually murderous to, to Canadians. So, um, so this brings us. And, though if, and if I can just set the context, sorry, I just want to mention one more thing, Mike. Yeah. That um, the the context of why this is we're framing it um, on on a political show um, is because we're highlighting the conflict between state jurisdiction and federal jurisdiction. And Mike and I have talked a lot about the lesser magistrate on this show, and that concept is very important not only to us, but to what we believe is a free and just um, Western hemisphere or Christendom or however you want to speak about it. And so what we like to see is a state where the federal government is not acting on behalf of the interests of the citizens, which it's obligated to do. Greg Abbott points out that Congress, which is the legislature, imposes laws on the presidency. The presidential office, the executive branch, does not legislate laws. They don't come up with laws. Congress does. So when Congress gives the federal government, the executive branch, a law, it is its mandate is to enforce it. And so what you have is really a breakdown in the uh, judicial and lawful processes of government in the U.S. at the highest levels. Um, and then you also have a showdown. And the U.S. Constitu Constitution was very clear about uh, state rights and federal rights. And it enumerated specific rights for the federal branch of the government. But anything that was not specifically given to the federal government was actually implicitly given to the state or the people. So the states in the U.S. Constitution actually have a tremendous amount of power, and it is their duty to use it. And I think one of the things, one of the reasons we have a breakdown in liberty is because lower magistrates are not using the authority that they've already been given. And so this is a very important move for, from Abbott, and it's even more critical that uh, 25 or so U.S. governors showed up at Eagle Pass to uh, support and stand behind the governor of Texas, literally, in support of him pushing back against the federal government. And so that's a really critical um, optical piece of this um, of this whole story. Uh, we're also going to talk a little bit about the legislature now and, and why this uh, appropriations bill was conceived and sort of how it was received and, and what its fate was. Yeah. And on that point that you just made, Tim, you know, this is this is something that whenever whenever tyranny is afoot the the citizen is looking to the next person to help them out and you know if if provincial leaders in canada and if uh local law enforcement in canada had have done anything regarding uh the covid pandemic we would have seen canada come out of the lockdowns far earlier, but basically everybody just, you know, placated up to the level of the premier and uh, that it was basically the premiers and the, and the federal government who were dictating things. So um, this is, this is great to see a governor doing this and it sh it should be done wherever, uh, wherever these uh, bureaucrats and, and elected officers have the ability to do so, as you just said, within their own jurisdiction. So look, one thing that's being spun a lot right now, we need to talk about it and connect the idea, is that um, so on um, February 4th, there was a bipartisan group of senators that unveiled a foreign aid and immigration overhaul. And the idea was, okay, well, you know, uh, Texas is doing that. We should we should also be doing something uh, as far as the Senate. And so uh, an $818 billion bill called the Emergency National Security Supplemental Appropriations Act uh, sought significant changes in border policy, and it included money to build new border barriers, expand detention facilities, and hire more immigration and customs officers. Now, the reason why this has just as of uh, the recent week, Tim, fallen apart. So here you think, OK, we've got Chuck Schumer 
Uh, we've got Mitch McConnell, the, the, the Democratic and, and Republican leaders agreeing on a bill. Uh, how is it possible that it then just failed? Well, of course, though, the spin from the left is, well, the Republicans aren't serious about really securing the border. We are. And so, um, you know, we, we, we came to this bill in good faith and, you know, we really want to see significant border reform and this is going to solve the problem, but the Republicans didn't want it. And of course the Republican talking points, which again, I believe in this case are more accurate. I've looked into the bill this morning and we'll read a little bit from it is simply that it was an impossible task. Um, the Democrats wanted funding for Ukraine. The Republicans were willing to give them that. Uh, we'll talk about the nature of omnibus bills. People know how much I dislike them. Um, but beyond uh, giving the, the Democrats that, that, that aid package for Ukraine, the Republicans were then also just willing to let the Democrats call the shots on the policies of this bill, which are really problematic. Um, here's a few things that come up in the bill. Well, just before, just before yeah. you go, just before you bring those up, Mike, I, for our Canadian listeners, um, Mitch McConnell is, uh, I'm trying to filter out all of the language that would, would be inappropriate to share in front of children. Um, conservatives consider Mitch McConnell a very unfriendly Republican. Um, he has, he has shown much more concern for, uh, maintaining sort of a uniparty uh, uni policy base in the Senate than he ever has about advancing conservative values. He said um, a couple months ago that Ukraine was the was the greatest crisis facing Americans um, at all. Like and, full and stop. Sam, that is the reality. A blatant that reality. disregard. That is reality of him putting together this bill is uh, because he's so right. focused on getting the funding for Ukraine. So that, that's what most of the pundits are saying down here. That Look, he, he, he wanted to sign on to this because he got Ukraine. And, and then the, the Democrats get to say they got funding for Ukraine. The problem is, is the bill does not fix the border problem. And it's a real blunder uh, for Rep the Pro Republican leadership and, and, and uh, Mitch McConnell. I, I know I know I jumped in there, Tim. I just wanted to um, clarify for you that every, people are agreeing that Mitch is really one-sided on this, or he's narrow, narrow, narrow focused on this. You know, myopic on it. So here's what here are the problems with the with the bill. Number one, it would codify an open border. So uh, part of the biggest problem right now that is that is making the border open is uh, the catch and release policy. So the catch and release policy is that um, aliens who are referred uh, for proceedings uh, for, you know, if they are caught illegally and, and they are then, they plead asylum, that they are asylum seekers, which basically you have to say one sentence and you are, you are in that designation. So then they are referred for a proceeding to find out whether or not they are actually an asylum seeker. And the policy is, well, you get to be released within the United States um, as you wait for that court date. And this, of course, includes um, the heads of households and their entire families, which, of course, on, uh, on, on one point, great, you want to keep families together. You don't want, you know, the children kept and the father deported. Yeah, get it. But that's really what's going on. So, so Tim, just imagine if that was any Canadian in Florida, you know, they came down to Florida and they just decided I'm staying illegally. I'm never going back. Um, and then they plead asylum and now they're just, they're just there indefinitely. They're, they're they can just move around. And, and so, th so this is the major problem. So many people are coming over knowing that they will be caught, knowing that they will be released and knowing that then they can hide within the country uh, without any ramifications. I want to point out two uh, consequences of that. One is that um, one is that the burden uh, falls to the American people for that. So the burden of the expense, uh, whether it be a trial or whether it be um, 
asylum uh, benefits. We have we know we have that in Canada. We have migrants who come to Canada who immediately get access to dental care and healthcare, specialized healthcare that Canadian citizens don't get in a very socialized system where Canadians get a lot of healthcare where the government pays for it. Uh, but there, but migrants will come and get increased benefits. So there are a lot of similar things happen here. When you're seeking asylum, you're given a, uh, a large amount of benefits. So it doesn't matter whether you qualify or not. You're automatically in a category that receives social financial benefit. That's at the burden of the American taxpayer. So immediately, without without any sort of decision on this, you have a financial burden placed on the American system and the American burden, uh, the American taxpayer. The second thing I want to point out is that that assumes the the right to work in the United States, which you know, and I know, Mike, applying for work visas in the US is extraordinarily difficult and extraordinarily expensive. But again, when you come as an asylum seeker, whether it's legitimate or not, and that, because retroactively, now let's say, let's say they deny you asylum, uh, do they claw back all the benefits and all of the opportunity costs that you incurred against the American people? No. So there's a tremendous burden. The system even when it's functioning, presents a, a massive burden to Americans and American taxpayers in what I think people should recognize is an extraordinarily difficult economic and social time. Since, you know, the, the riots of 2020 and, and the, the, the lockdowns and the economic destruction that that incurred and the wars that have broken out overseas, Americans are, are in a desperate state in a lot of ways, a lot of deep and desperate poverty. And what you have is an American government just shouldering them with more and more burdens to care for the needs um, of citizens of other countries. And so I just want to point out immediately that those American taxpayers and citizens are shouldering burdens, even without there being a just decision made in the long run. Well, and specifically, that's where this bill just throws money at the problem all over the place. And yeah. so... The, okay, but there's a few things that you need to realize, though. So this this bill, if if this emergency act is triggered, which there's even dialogue and disagreement about the start of that, where um, the, the the bill actually the the act is not even triggered unless there's five thousand immigrants a day at the border. Uh, which that in itself, or not immigrants at a day at the border, immigrants, uh, migrants who have come across illegally, um, that in and of itself normalizes about the number of 5,000 people a day illegally entering the country. But it also then seeks to give immediate work permit to a number of people in the, in those categories. So this the source of this is coming from uh, Senator Ted Cruz on the verdict. Um, and as you just mentioned, Tim, that Billion. This also gives billions of dollars to sanctuary cities and pays off NGOs that are, um, on one hand, they are pleading for more money in order to enable and, as you say, give all of these benefits uh, to these illegal immigrants. On the other hand, it's paying them off and they can then become the architects of this invasion because if the people are paying for um, – all of these benefits for these illegal immigrants, the, the taxpayer is funding an invasion of their country that is being orchestrated by sanctuary cities and NGOs that are profiting and benefiting from being uh, the go-between, from, from, from being the person who, on one hand, gets to say, well, look, we've just got to take care of them. And on the other hand, who gets to say, well, let's make sure the policy keeps happening because we are all getting paid off in the process. Finally, that's an important point. I'm gonna. I'm just gonna pause you right there. That's a huge point that people don't recognize in terms of the ble the bleeding out of of money, because the government is often not using its existing bureaucratic structures to deal with this. As you said, Mike, they are funding third parties. So, so they're being paid to hire other people to be paid to deal with these problems. And the same thing happened with the um, the We Charity scandal up in Canada with Trudeau paying a charity that his mother sits on the board of in order to disperse uh, uh, bursaries to Canadian entrepreneurs or whatever it was. And what you under what, what Canadians and Americans fail to see is that you might have a $10 million program uh, um, proposed. Let's say the government's going to give $10 million in scholarships to people, but then to find out who those scholarships to, should go to and to help allocate that money, they'll spend an additional $10 million 
to disperse the $10 million. So it's actually a $20 million program. And of course, these people become friends and not necessarily official lobbyists, but you go out for lunch and the head of the NGO says, hey, so, you know, are we going to renew our contract? Well, yeah, I guess so. And so there's a there's a really nefarious cycling of public money uh, back and forth between the pockets of public servants and then third-party private service providers that are benefiting off of that public money. And so it, it's... It, there's so much self-interest vested here that it really does become difficult to hold somebody accountable for what's in the best interest of Americans. Maybe those NGOs wouldn't exist anymore if we didn't have a such an overwhelming flood of illegals into a country, right? But again, the money perpetuates the problem in a great many cases. So I just wanted to highlight that. Well, I appreciate you pointing that out. Well, it, you know, it, it, Man, I, I was I was going uh, on to the next uh, subject, but of course, this is so meaningful. When uh, yeah. just today, we see across all of Canadian media, the Arrive Cam app was so poorly managed that the Auditor General can only guess the cost. Subtitle, uh, subheadline: Auditor General Karen Hodgen estimated that the Canada Border Services Agency spent. 5.9 or not sorry 59.5 million dollars on the app, app app not not on the application of the right. law on they spent 59.5 yep. million dollars and and the records are so poorly kept that they have to estimate this and of course, so this is the way all of this happens. And then, of, of course, this is why the split between the Democrats and the Republicans is growing, because once you see your political life and your financial life absorbed in the midst of more illegals coming in, then you promote that policy rather than anything that would benefit the citizenry. And so, again, as we are talking about this point, as we are as we're, you know, t talking about how, you know, the, the, this is really a lot of funding to sanctuary states. It's very important that people understand that. And where I was also going with that point is that once you give money to a non-governmental organization, the only accountability from the government's end is whether or not we give it to you again. They're, 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 you're not accountable to a non-governmental organization as to how they spend the money, unless they are proving to be uh, to, to do criminal behavior with it, you can spend that money in any variety of ways. So the accountability just goes out the door. And of course, this is why organizations like the World Health Organization, the United Nations, um, uh, uh, the World Economic Forum, uh, the, Bill, the Bill and Belinda Gates Foundation, all, all of these other organizations once a government, once our government gives them money, it's their money. And uh, there, there's no there's no recourse other than you don't get more. Okay, well, you gave me so much. So another part of the problem with, as we're talking about giving away money, is of course that this bill is uh, giving away a, a significant amount of funding to Ukraine um, and giving uh, giving just a tremendous amount of uh of resources to securing that border. In a summary, uh, the, it provides $48.43 billion of continued U.S. support to Ukraine. Um, it does give some assistance to Israel. Uh, it provides $10.6 billion uh, in support of Israel. But proportionately, the actual giving towards uh, a, a, a border protection uh, of the southern border is very minimal. And so again, this this is this is an omnibus bill. We'll talk about that later, but it just died. And and folks, it, it's very frustrating for all of us because you know we spent Tim and I spent time this morning trying to dig into the bill. You can hardly understand all of the jargon. You've got to really work at it. And both Republicans and many Democrats in the United States, as long as as well as Canadians who who are constantly visiting this country and, and some seeking to immigrate to it are totally frustrated with this absolute chaos at the border. So it's great that Governor Abbott is doing what he's doing. Hopefully that will continue. But this bipartisan senator bill uh, is dead and it's good that it's dead 
because it would have just made the southern border uh, of the United States. Again, and again, uh, they're always just talking about the southern border. For some magic wand thing, this doesn't work for the Canadian border, even though we are in the U.S.-American-Mexico uh, uh, Treaty. So uh, there you go, Tim. So Back to I, I, well, I do want to talk I, – I, you said later about Omnibus, but I think we're there now. Um, we need to talk about that fact because a lot of this has to do with political optics. Uh, Joe Biden did a press conference um, where he actually spoke a coherent sentence, and that was that when the when the bill died, he said, "From now until the election, Americans are going to know that the border is broken because of mega Republicans." So optically, they Trump they isn't even in office. He has a Twitter the, account. Don't do it. Don't get sucked into exactly. This is the, it's so absurd. It defies critique. It defies rebuttal. It is. It's a known fact. Even Democrats are acknowledging. John Fetterman up in uh, Pennsylvania, the Democratic senator, is like, "There's a crisis at the border." Okay, so Democrats are acknowledging the border is dramatically out of control since the Biden administration took over, and. Because of this bill, and they know that this is going to happen, they they smash together. Um, in the words of uh, Adam Schiff uh, in the West Wing, he said, "Omnibus bills are like Christmas trees, where everyone hangs a decoration on it um, before it finally goes to a vote. Everyone hangs on their own little self-interested thing, um, and then you're forced to swallow it all." And the, there's a kernel in there that's good. I'm sure there's a kernel in here, Mike. Like you talked about it, it does end the catch and release policy. It tightens up. It demands more evidence for claiming asylum. And it's like, hey, these are good things, right? This would help. But of course, there's so much slammed in there and rammed into the trunk of this car that is just toxic and awful for the American people, including $2 billion more billion for Ukraine. Billions and billions more dollars going out of the country. $48 billion. Sorry. For that must have been one little earmark line. Yeah. Yeah. And, and then, then so when so when Republicans defeat it, when Republicans defeat it, it's like, oh, see, they don't really care about the border. It's optics. It's political games. So they can blame Republicans for not passing a bill that's largely about funding for Israel and Ukraine. And they're like, oh, but the border's in there as well. Why not just pass a bill about the border? Because they don't want to control it. And we know this because Biden's press secretary came out and said, well, I guess since uh, the bill didn't pass, then we're going to have to uh, cut deportation activities as well because of budget cutting. You can't act like there's no budget for deportations uh, when you're sending hundreds of billions to Ukraine and then saying, well, it's the Republicans' fault that we can't manage the border. It's political optics, and the omnibus is designed to bewilder people, and it's designed to create spin. That's not technically false that the bill failed on account of Republicans and that it did include some positive developments for the border, but they're trying to ram down all of this toxic garbage at the same time. And this is the respect that legislators have for Americans. And I'll say the same thing about Canadians. And I just want to pause here, reflect on this for a minute. This is the respect that your legislators have for you. And for generation, a generation or two now, voters have accepted this level of disrespect. Where if you want something good from us, you're going to have to swallow a whole garbage pail of slop and grime and sludge and sewage. And that's that's just become normal now, where if you want anything good from your representatives, you're going to have to take the crap with it. And I just think it's time for voters to say, I, I, I don't have to choose. You can choose uh, candidates and individuals who are outside of what has been dubbed accurately the swamp like J.D. Vance in Ohio, who will come in and will actually act on behalf of the American people. They're, they're not going to try to slam third-party NGO, you know, patting each other's wallets, feathering each other's nests. Uh, you've also got um, down in Texas, uh, Chip Roy. There are individuals who are fighting genuinely for just those good issues. Um, but you have a, a conglomerate in the middle, this giant uniparty, and it's in Canada as well, who are – Sorry, pissing on voters and telling them it's raining. And, and that's and that's what we've come to accept. And there has to be a moral revival among politics so that it doesn't operate in this way because we wouldn't accept this behavior from fathers over Christian homes, right? It's like, honey, I'll take you out for dinner for our anniversary, um, but you're going to have to let me get – I'll do it, but you have to let me buy a new set of golf clubs 
or worse, you know, you have to let me buy a car and drive it off a cliff and film it for fun. Like we wouldn't accept that kind of manipulative um, oversight in any other film, uh, in any other region, but we do here. So I wanted to highlight that omnibus. It's trash. I'm sure you have thoughts too, Mike. We have the same thing happen in Canada though. Yeah, specifically, um, you, you kind of jumped around there. So I'm, I'm going to go with where you went first about what voters can do. Like, folks, you can get involved in the EDAs of your local riding so that you're help vetting candidates. Um, you, If you're involved in choosing candidates who are running, uh, then you are able to sift out those people who you would think would um, – would just be trying to uh, always placate to the big tent mentality um, to the everybody's got to be pleased. Uh, I do know that there, I do know that there was controversy when uh, in the U S where there was a, there was a, a major group of senators that was pushing for uh, restrictions on omnibus bills. And I, I wish it had of, I wish it had of uh, gone through uh, through um, Tim, the other thing I just want to point out and make a, make a connection to Canadian politics really uh, specifically. Um, right now, we we know that the the Liberal Party has just said that um, uh, it's uh, anti hate speech bill, which used to be uh, Bill C thirty six. You can uh, you can still see it on the gov- Canadian government website, and it will be renamed uh, when it's re. Um, when it's readdressed or reintroduced in this new leg- uh, legislative seating. But um, the liberals are, are introducing that as soon as possible. And um, that is uh, what's, what's basically going to be an online hate speech bill. And um, it's done in the context of contem- uh, condemning the flying of Nazi and Confederate flags by protesters outside of parliament, which um it is so rare, potentially even planted um, uh, in Canada. But either way, um, this type of bill, uh, it's going to target things like, you know, pornographic deep fakes, and it's going to target some good things. And that's the way they're going to try to sell it to the Canadian people. While at the same time, they're going to just include um so many ridiculous concepts about um, they're going to force compelled speech. They're going to, they're going to punish truth and they're going to do that all under the, the broad title of hate speech and anything that causes harm. So you, you can harm If someone, if, if, if a four year old is playing pretend and they're playing pretend and they're, they're saying this truck can fly. You still in Canada can tell that, Canada can tell that child, no, that truck can't fly. But the same, that same four-year-old says, I can become a girl and he is a boy. Um, you, you can't tell that child that same thing. And in fact, you, you want to run to the hospital for chick, sick, sick children and their uh, transgender clinic. And you want to just buy into that ideology. So that's what these omnibus bills do. And um, the moment you see one coming, everybody, uh, you have to be very quick to pick sides, you should really just wager through the content of it in order to understand it for yourself because everybody's got to spin on this one. Um, I do agree. Uh, again, obviously this is a bipartisan bill. So there's lots of Republicans uh, who would be saying, Hey, we, you know, we were just trying to get to the table. Um, I do agree with the harsher critics of this bill that say it's so dangerous. And Tim, just to clarify one thing, it, it did not actually get rid of catch and release it codified it so it 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 actually whenever this emergency act would be imposed and these emergency funds released and these emergency policies issued after 5000 immigrants a day or migrants a day when, when that trigger was pulled actually the language is you have to release them and so as if you have a president or 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 you have a um, a, a border security policy that says, look, this is in place after X amount of illegals, then that policy is in place. And and so it codified catch and release. So, so it really didn't even do very much. It might've had a, might've had some 
small benefits of, of uh, border reform a little bit, but no, the whole thing, it didn't solve the border problem at all. It codified it. And like you were talking about, it's really just bringing an entire workforce into the United States with the United States and the, and the and United States citizens and legal immigrants paying their taxes, uh, footing the bill. So Tim, I feel like we've, you know, shot a 12 gauge here. Like this has just been both scattered topic and scatter brain. Uh, I let's try to, let's try to land the plane for everybody here. Let's try to, let's try to bring some application to this. So I, I think earlier, I'll just do a little bit of a recap earlier folks. Um, when, when we're talking about the quality of our candidates, you can go and get involved in your local EDAs and you can help choose candidates that are going to be more resolved to be principled and um, less um, susceptible to just the 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 lull of Washington D.C. or the or the lull of Ottawa. We've got to send people of principle as our representatives to these governing bodies. And then, of course, we talked about the omnibus bill. And whenever these big omnibus things come out. You have to realize that they are problematic in their nature. And so by nature, an omnibus bill is going to be prob problematic. So you, you sh probably shouldn't ever be jumping up and down for joy when you see one. And you should always be entering with caution. And usually your people are a part of the problem there too, as we saw with Mitch McConnell. So now, Tim, I know you just have a final thought on here on the idea of displacement and and folks, Tim and I try to get applicational. We try to get realistic. So those are two very, uh, very you know, simple points. Get involved at the local level to choose your candidates. When you see an omnibus bill, don't just be partisan on it. Be very, very uh, calculated on it. Tim, uh, what's your advice here for what needs to be done to curb displacement? Well, I uh, so the scriptures talk about one of the big blessings that God offers his people, if they are going to be obedient to him is stability in the land. Okay. He literally says, if you obey me, then I will protect you from your enemies. And if you hate me and worship idols, then you will be conquered and displaced by your enemies. And this actually took place when the Babylonians carried the Israelites off into captivity. They literally were brought out of their land. The, the Bible says that, the land will spew you out of its mouth. And um, this was seen during the Puritan um, persecution in England, where Puritans were fleeing and, and those uh, nonconformists were fleeing England. It was, uh, it was said by historians that it was like England was spewing out of her mouth um, these people. And so there's a very strong connection uh, between living and putting down roots and having generational succession and stability and righteousness. Okay, because these principles hold through all of creation, whatever <clears throat> covenant we're under or whatever dispensation we're in or however you want to think about it, uh, that you just principle use holds true. on our podcast? There are people listening, I think, who Did might, you, use the word you know, subscribe. I don't subscribe to that. But if it's the way you think, it's kind of like distinguishing 1689 between Westminster, if you're sort of in that world. But we can do a different episode on that. Uh if yeah, so there's a. It doesn't matter what era you we're in; those principles hold true. the The Bible says in the fifth commandment, "Honor your father and your mother, so that what you may live long in the land." There's a promise. It's a commandment with a promise. So there's a strong connection between chaotic migration patterns and unrighteousness. And I want to bring up Ecuador as an example because I've been to South America and I've had a lot of friends who have traveled around South America, Panama, um. Ecuador, uh, Guatemala, Mexico, okay? And one of the uh, countries that you were told never to go was Ecuador because of its uh, crime levels. And recently, Ecuador just surpassed the U.S. in uh, the reduction in crime rate. So it's a safer country now than the U.S. And the president who did this basically locked up all the criminals. They just locked them up. Well, if you break a law, you go to jail. And it's being criticized as a violation of human rights. We talked about human rights on this show before as being a sort of a demonic counterfeit of true divine rights. 
And that's a fact. And it brings stability and the people rejoice. Okay, so in, in Mexico, you have terrible conditions because you have corrupt police forces who join hands with cartels for financial gain. You have you you have the infestation of sin and greed and violence, and that creates a displacement. So you can't just throw government money at it. You can't just policy your way out of it. It is, as always, all solutions on this show are turn to Christ. Turn to Christ. If you're a magistrate, if you are a legislator, turn to Christ and and do what is pleasing to God and legislate what is pleasing to God. And then if you're a state, if you're a representative of the state, you are given the sword to punish evil. That's what Romans 13 literally says your job is. So curbing displacement starts with turning to God. Okay, the, the, these issues are not disconnected from the moral collapse that's going on in the West right now. Okay, it, it is a judgment from God that violence is streaming over the U.S. border and, and is streaming in from other countries into Canada. It is a judgment from God for abandoning his commandments. So we need to depoliticize moral questions. I also saw CTV had a coverage uh, article of a gang rape that occurred in Italy of a 13-year-old girl. And the title of the CTV coverage said that it provided fodder for the ascendant far right. So the political and moral discourse that's going on in our world is as or more concerned about the ascendancy of the alternative, alternate right or the alt-right movement or the far right movement than it is about the, the existence of gang rape. And this is the moral distortion that's taken place that we're more concerned about political labels and politicization and partisanship than we are about actual righteousness and actual safety and actual blessing to people like 13-year-old girls or whoever's living in Eagle Pass. And, and we need to regain a, the moral authority to call evil, evil and good, good, whoever, whichever side of the aisle says it. So that starts with us and not falling prey to these partisan games that pit people against each other over issues that they would otherwise agree on. That's why I brought up John Fetterman in a positive light, because he sees the immigration issue correctly, I think, even as a Democrat. Yeah. And so folks, you've heard terms like this before, but um, scripture warns you not to be in, in James chapter two shows us, not, tells us not to show favoritism to the rich over the poor. We have um, other scriptures that are very clear that tell us not to just rule in the favor of the poor uh, because they are poor. And of course, the reason why you would do that would be to score uh, political points with them. So we, we got concepts of favoritism. We've got concepts of partiality. Um, we have concepts of one rule of law for all. So, you know, um, it's just really uh, the reality here that there are, and Tim, I, I, I wonder if people go, how are they connecting this to the word righteousness? It's because if you're not committed to righteousness, which is being right before the law, then you're just committed to yourself. And that's really where all this connection is. So why would I show favoritism to the, to the lobbyist who is rich? Oh, because he's going to get me reelected. And that's all about me. Why am I going to show favoritism to an entire new population of uh, immigrants that I have been a part of the invasion have, I have allowed to come into the, Oh, because they're going to show me favoritism and it, it just breaks down society. And so this is, it is good for people to be reminded about that. Uh, you know, don't be, don't be partisan. Don't be just, uh, don't be just partial, be moral seek righteousness, speak up. If you're, if you're, you know, if you've grown up and you've liked the left your whole life and, and you might, you might dismiss some of the things that, that others say, cause you think it's just a little too harsh. Well, don't dismiss what they say. Listen uh, and, 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 and learn. So Tim, uh, why don't I just pass it back to you for one more final closing comment, everybody for me, I'm going to sign off here and just enjoy my water while Tim's voice melodiously sends us off into another week. Well, and I did, I, I mentioned I would cover uh, Rick Jones of Ohio because I think he deserves credit here. He's a sheriff in the Butler County uh, Sheriff's Department. And um, he's, <clears throat> he went down to the Association of uh, Sheriffs uh, in Georgia um, 
in the last week. And he was bringing back a brief from the FBI director who basically said that the federal government wasn't willing to sit down and talk with sheriffs and local law enforcement um, about the issues. There's just an abdication of responsibility, as we pointed out, uh, in agreement with Greg Abbott. And what he was bringing to his people was, I'm not trying to scare you, I'm trying to prepare you. Okay, and so that's a key aspect here. And then, and what they're doing is they're training local citizens up there to respond in a crisis because there are increased dangerous risks um, of attack or violence or harm done to American citizens. So there's an awareness level that needs to go up and there's a preparedness level that needs to go up. And so like we, another one of our oft repeated uh, applications is take responsibility for the safety of your family, take responsibility for your own knowledge, for your own preparedness, um, and don't assume that the government is always going to be there. The government's always going to pick up the slack. The government's always going to take um, our hand through a crisis um, because through history and as we've developed into a really heavy social state, um, we've we've missed a lot of that. So we will be doing that. I'm, Are you signaling to me that you want to say something or tell me to just wrap it? I, I'm signaling you just opened up another can of worms with this. Like when you were talking about preparedness, everybody, in fact, it's the opposite of, of it's not, sorry, it's the opposite extreme. Tim said, don't assume that the government is going to be there for you. It's actually right now based upon our last week's podcast and this week's podcast yeah. is right now. If you've got some local, if you've got some local magistrates, if you've got some local sheriffs, some local governors who are willing to help you, fantastic. But you actually have to assume now in this political context that the government is against you. That like yes. that is that is an assumption. Now the beauty is you can peacefully and uh, wisely, in in many respects, uh, inject change into our political climate. And that's why we say get involved at the EDAs. But on this local preparedness thing, Tim, yeah, like teacher sons and daughters how to navigate how to have situational awareness um teach them as uh, as as public safety is a concern teach them uh wisdom as they navigate larger crowds um you know i'm on twitter every single day and i, I follow a few journalists who just who just are showing the 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 increase of just public violence you know even in new york city two two police officers were uh were attacked by immigrants who were then released and gave all of the media the finger as they were released. Like we're in a new day. You can't walk around with your head down, um, you know, uh, without giving too much information, you know, young women, uh, in our congregation, Carrie, Carrie Mace, Carrie, what's lawful, uh, young men and old men, Carrie, like you, you got to figure out what's lawful in your area and you've got to keep your head up in crowds. And uh, again, as you just said, this local sheriff is saying, I'm not saying this to make you scared, but if you have situational awareness, that is empowerment. So go get some, uh, go get some self-defense courses from the, the local police station, have them come out to your homeschooling co-op and, and 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 make your family and and your neighbors aware of the fact that the world is changing mm. and unless the governments change uh we've got a lot of personal responsibility to take that was a really good point but it just made me have to speak everybody goodbye that was the shotgun godspeed